Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. On the last episode of Journey, Everest Base Camp. Both of our blood oxygen levels were down a bit last night and hers are quite a bit down, so mine's rebounded okay now, but hers hasn't, so we're going to actually end up probably staying an extra day um, in Dolo, where we are. It's kind of fun going along and breaking the ice. It's actually surprisingly thick. Which makes me think it must have got fairly cold last night. I mean, the ice is a good centimetre thick. I'm starting to get used to this routine now. Slide out of bed, peek out the window to see a beautiful blue sky in a magnificent mountain range. Quickly spring up and try and get changed as quickly as possible. Quietly make my way to the lounge, grab a coffee, freshly brewed on the yak dung fire. Step outside, take in a deep breath of that fresh, cold Himalayan air. Pinch myself. Pinch myself again. Eat and plan. And today was no different. I slept a bit better than the previous night. My O2 levels have stabilised somewhat with the rest day, and I feel primed and ready to go. Hanky this morning is still not 100%, but she does seem to be at least marginally improved, or at least no worse. We sit down and have our morning meeting. Where we are in Dole... We're at an altitude of 4,038 metres. Our planned path for this, day six, is what Nidijan tells us will be a relatively straightforward day of only a few hours to the nearby settlement of Machermo, which sits at an altitude of 4,470 metres, which is a relatively gentle 430 metres vertical elevation gain. Nidijan points out that the plan here for the day is to just take it easy, slow and steady. But for me, 
I'm chomping at the bit. A rest day, which has felt like a day wasted to me at this point, has me impatiently wanting more. My fiance Ashley will tell you that I'm not a particularly patient person, and I'm the first to admit that. I'm someone who constantly likes to be moving. I absolutely abhor sitting around feeling like I'm doing nothing. This morning, I'd noticed that one of the Lodge's Sherpa host family was very sick. A young girl in her 20s. She clearly had a terrible fever from a nasty bout of the flu that had been going around. When you're way up here in the mountains, you're a long way from any help. And you're also a long way from the nearest drugstore. When I was in Turkey on the first week of our trip, I'd come down with a pretty heavy bout of something. Quite possibly COVID. I'm not sure, but I'd picked up some decent drugs at a Turkish chemist. As you'll well be aware, over-the-counter flu medication has become pretty average in recent years in Western countries due to its use in the production of illegal drugs like methamphetamine. Pseudoephedrine used to be the key ingredient in most decent flu medication, but has long been outlawed in New Zealand. So I was surprised and very happy when the chemist in Turkey sold me a cold and flu medication that I noticed contained pseudo, and it was fantastic. I held on to the second half of the packet for my trip because you never know where you might need it. And here, seeing this poor girl in a horrible state, curled up in the fetal position, sweating and miserable with no drugs to help. Early this morning, I rummaged through my pack and pulled out my plastic bag of goodies and grabbed the last sleeve of these amazing tablets and placed them in her hand. I was very happy to see an hour later, as I was heaving my pack on to leave, she was already much improved. And hopefully, those got her through the worst of it. I wave goodbye to my newfound friends at the Riverside Lodge, some of whom are a large group of Israeli trekkers, who have convinced me that I must try the 1,000-kilometre Israel Trail, which is listed by National Geographic as one of the 20 most epic trails in the world. We exchange emails, and we're on our way. Again, over the stream, a sharp right turn, and we're off up the hill. After only a couple minutes, two things become very clear. Firstly, that there's no need for this light jacket. The sun is already beating down, and I'm cooking. And the second is that despite Hanky seeming somewhat better today, she is clearly still really struggling. Much like yesterday, it's slow progress. One foot in front of the other. After only five or ten minutes, we stop and break. At this point for me, I won't deny it. I'm getting a bit frustrated. Of course, I feel terrible for her and what she's going through. But I also came here to enjoy the journey. And at this pace, that's just not possible for me. Also forefront in my mind, I can't get past the obvious question. If this easy climb here is this difficult for her, then how on earth is she going to manage the rest of the trek, when the hardest is yet to come? And then there's the fact that I have a possible new trekking partner, the French guy, RTA, also leaving Dole today bound for the same path as me, 
but I decide for the moment to continue along and see what happens. Well, it's day six. The views are beautiful, the weather's great, it's the same old Himalayas, but we're faced with, well, I'm faced with my first predicament of this trek. Uh, the girl that I'm doing, the that I ended up joining up with, with our guide, she's really struggling and um, in the space of probably just over an hour, I'm probably already, I've split from them and um, I think I'm already probably an hour in front. And when we're only on day six and there's so much to go, I mean, this is the easy stuff. Um, I have to make a decision here, whether I split from them and continue on my own or I wait. We already lost one day yesterday. I, I yeah, it's a tough decision. I mean, I feel like I'm going to have to keep going here. I mean, the time of day right now is... It's only nine o'clock and apparently we're going to be in the next location in the next 20 minutes. And I mean, I can't stop trekking at 9.30. That's ridiculous. Um, I've met up with a few other people that are heading on to Gokyo. And I mean, I feel great. Like my, I could hike like this all day long. Um, acclimatization, of course, I'm being careful with that to make sure I don't go too far in one day, but at some point you have to look out for yourself and she's got the guide with her, so you know, I have my doubts as to whether she's actually going to be able to make this. I mean, she's going at an incredibly slow pace and today's an easy day. But I do feel bad for her as well. Um... I do. Anyway, um, yeah, I've stopped for a quick drink break and I'm going to plough on here, get to Machermo and then make a decision of what I'm going to do. But I think that decision is going to be that I'm going to continue on my own. I'm sitting on a rock at the edge of the cliff which falls away sharply to the river a couple hundred metres below. Looking back down the valley, I can see the trail I've just followed, hanging on the edge of the cliff, like a thin piece of ribbon that got stuck on the side of the mountain in this crazy place. I'm straining my eyes trying to spot my trekking partners. My newfound trekking buddy, the 20-something-year-old Dutch girl Hanky, and my Nepalese guide Nidijan. As I had walked on, I'd suddenly realised that a huge gulf had opened between us. And now, I couldn't see them at all. Despite the fact, I can see far into the distance to where the trail eventually disappears. It's at this point I realise I've got two choices. I'm either going to wait hours for them to catch back up, if they do at all, or I'm going to continue solo. It's really not a thought I'm comfortable with mainly because I really don't like the idea of leaving them behind. We've been a team, and we should stick together. I sigh, and seeing no sight of them, heave my pack on 
and continue on to Machermo. The going at this stage in the trek is incredibly pleasant. The trail winds in the open along the edge of the valley, and the incline, for the most part, is a gentle slope. It allows me to really stretch my legs and feel like I'm flying with little effort, which is when I'm at my happiest. Around another bend and drop down to pass through a small settlement, which sits in a small depression on the mountainside, with a single lodge and a number of stone fenced paddocks although all devoid of any animals. It's very quiet here. I've only seen a few people on the trail. But at this point, as I come through the other side, I meet a friendly Aussie and an American, and we walk for some time, chatting as we do. They're moving at a good clip, and although they're walking together, they're actually both solo trekkers. They tell me that they're heading on to Gokyo Ri today, they also stayed in Dole last night. And when I explain my situation, they're unequivocal. Hanky will be fine with the guide. And if I want my best chance to make it to Everest, then I should continue solo. And they're more than happy for me to join up with them. At this stage, I still haven't decided anything. I take another short break to see if I can spot Hanky or Nidijan, but I still can't. So again, I move on. So this is the point that I officially separate with my group. I've made it to Machermo now in about an hour and a half, and I'd estimate they're probably another hour and a half behind me. It would be madness for me to stay here now. And it's not fair on her to have that pressure of feeling like you're holding someone back. So for me now, it's solo. Uh, there's a French guy, ITA that I'm going to try and catch back up to. I think he's doing the same route as me. Um, I was talking to him yesterday, so hopefully I can catch back up to him um, and join up with him. He seemed like a really cool guy and probably more my kind of pace. So uh, at one part of me, I'm sad I'm leaving these guys behind, but another part of me, I'm excited because now I'm out on my own and the last couple of days I've felt a little bit shackled. Um, but yeah... This is what it's like up here, you know, it's survival of the fittest in a way. I would never leave someone behind if they were on their own, of course, but, you know, she's got the guide with her, this is the best thing. So, crossing a nice little stream in Machermo, I tell you, the water is just crystal clear blue and you, you're not going to get fresher water than this, literally coming right off the Himalayas. I know I go on and on about it, but it is, it's something. And the best is yet to come. I wait a few minutes at the top of the crest, just beyond Machermo. Despite my confidence and seeming assuredness in the audio that I'm doing the right thing, I definitely wasn't so sure. And there was a big part of me that wondered if I was making a mistake. As I waited, part of me hoped to see them come round the corner. 
they never did. And finally, I turned, looked up the mountain range, and took my first steps onwards as a solo trekker. I feel like now that I've got above the pass from Machermo, above the crest, it's really opened up into a totally different landscape. Shubabahini, uh, no vegetation really at all, only very small shrubs, and it's just barren rocks, ridge lines, moraines left from glaciers. But I'm still amazed to see the rock fences from farms. It's just incredible. People that could live up here in this environment. It's incredible. Ahead of me now, up the valley, mountains, white, covered in snow. Where I am right now is still no snow, but that is soon going to change. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Certainly now that I'm out on my own, you get the sense of how isolated you are. Uh, There's not many people around now. The direction I'm heading straight up there. That's where I'm going to find Gokyo and I think what I'm going to do is stay there for two nights because I'm going to be making an elevation gain today of probably six or seven hundred metres which is quite high in one day. Um, So you can see I have to follow this path up here. It's a good climb up into the mountains and then yeah, I think I'll stay tonight at Gokyo then there's a day hike tomorrow up to Gokyo Ri which apparently is stunning then I'll stay back in Gokyo again, then I guess the glacier in the pass and um, just play it by ear and see what other people are doing that are there. But yeah, this is the sense of isolation I kind of was looking for on this trek. But it just makes you think, tread carefully. I've run into a problem. Obviously, I wasn't able to tell Nidijan my plan in person as they were so far behind. So my thoughts were, I'd send him a message as soon as I got into a spot with better service. 
as I've walked today, my watch has vibrated occasionally as I receive some notification from my phone as I go in and out of service. So my assumption had been that at some point I'd get the opportunity to send him a message. However, half an hour after leaving Machermo, I still hadn't found any service. Eventually, I came across a rare group of trekkers heading back down the trail. The leader of the group was a classic mountain man and looked like he'd just travelled from the 70s with long hair and a real hippie vibe. As we pass, I queried the cell coverage and was told, Sorry dude, there's no more coverage anywhere ahead. Shit. Shortly, Nidijan will be reaching Machermo and will be wondering where the hell I am. Not ideal. This group are moving fast and will be passing through Machermo in no time. So I ask him to tell Nidijan as they go through that I've gone on ahead to Gokyo and that I'll be staying there for two days. No problem, my dude. And off he went, trailed only by his long hair and his group of trekkers. It wasn't my original plan, and it didn't feel quite right. But I felt confident that this guy was going to relay my message for me. With not much more I could do, I continued on up the trail. Now on my own, I begin to really pick up the pace. To my knowledge, Gokyo is approximately four to five hours from a chermo. Normally, I can cut a fair bit of time off of the guidelines, and so I assumed the same thing here. But as each crest of a hill gave way to another, for the first time, I started to feel a creeping and uncomfortable feeling. I'm knackered. I stop for a moment to take a short video of a family making their way past with a group of yaks. In the earlier part of the trek, the primary animal used for transporting goods tended to be mules or people. But now, for the first time, I'm really seeing true yaks. And I must say, they're a stunningly beautiful animal. Huge and steady, with massive horns and long flowing hair swinging gracefully as they trundled their way along the narrow path. Yaks are so beautiful. <laughs> There's a family coming past with the yaks. A little kid was on the back, a little stick he's waving like his little whip. <laughs> the yaks are very well treated compared to the mules anyway. They're beautiful, beautiful animals. Each one of this group carried a large gas cylinder which, now empty, will be transported all the way back down to be replaced with a full tank and brought all the way back up. While in some places in the world, animals such as these can be very poorly treated, for example, Santorini in Greece, I was shocked to see the way those poor donkeys are forced to carry overweight tourists up the steep entrance to the city. Yeah, if you go to Santorini, don't do that. But here... The yaks are very well looked after, and in fact are turned completely loose every afternoon once their day's work is complete. 
They simply roam around the area or stand in the sun. They seem happy. And while I'm videoing this group, suddenly a porter basically runs past us. And strapped to his back is literally two cases of water. Each bottle, one litre. So he's carrying 48 litres, 48 kilos. Plus, he's got no shoes, just flip-flops. Suddenly, my 20-kilo bag seems not quite so heavy. Myself and this porter would largely keep pace with each other for the next two hours. I would pass him as he took a break, then he would race by me again. Eventually, the trail, which had been following a large rolling ridge, abruptly ended and became a steep series of steps that wound up through a valley out of sight, at points hanging over the edge of the raging white water only a misstep away. I'd be lying if I didn't say I hugged the mountainside on the way up this section. But just before the beginning of the steps, I had a really cool moment which I'll always remember. Just ahead of me, the porter I'd been seesawing with for the last couple hours pulled over for a rest. Looking up at the steps to come, I decided this was probably a very good idea. So I sat down too and swung off my pack. And here we sat, just the two of us, in silence for about ten minutes. Neither speaking the other's language, but sharing the same camaraderie you have when you follow another car on the highway for a long time. And when they eventually turn off, you give a little flash of the lights. It's been good. Before starting the trek, I'd bought a bunch of Snickers bars. So I rustled through my bag and pulled one out, breaking off half and throwing it over to him. We ate our Snickers in peaceful silence, bracing ourselves for the next far more difficult step. Eventually, with not much more than a nod of the head, off he went, and I never saw him again. As for myself, I'm really starting to feel pretty tired now. After half an hour spent straight uphill, stair after stair, by the time I reach the top, to be honest, I'm exhausted. What was supposed to be the easiest day of the trek so far has ended up being by far the hardest. Finally, coming over the top of the waterfall, the landscape changes again. And it's truly breathtaking. The Gokyo route is famous for a few things. But one of those are the stunning alpine lakes. And a short distance from the top of the waterfall... I see a small but pristine blue alpine lake, absolutely perfectly still. Two strange-looking Himalayan alpine ducks slowly drift across under the shadow of an overhanging cliff face. As I wander over, I see another young couple sitting enjoying the scenery and the stillness. I throw down my own pack and take a break, When someone else walks up behind me, I turn and see, oh, 
It's my French friend, Artier. I hadn't seen him today and assumed he must have already been far ahead of me. Instead, he tells me that no. He decided to stay in a small settlement between Machermo and Gokyo because he felt the elevation gain would have been too much. But he decided to go for a bit of a walk ahead to where we are now just to kill some time. We chat for a while. Turns out he's a property agent in France. His English is actually very good, which, I'm sorry for my French audience, is not the norm. My experience with the French is that even if they can speak English, they'd never let you know it. Dare they may actually have to talk to you. But RTA couldn't be more friendly and engaging. The other couple are American, and the four of us walk for 20 minutes or so together, before eventually RTA heads back down to his lodge below the waterfall and the couple take another break. The trail continues to wind its way along through a rough, rocky landscape. Small, bluey-green alpine lakes sit calmly on my left. Aside from those I've just been with, there's no one else here. It's quiet, aside from the crunching of my own boots. By this point, it's now been a long, tough day, and I'm completely shattered. More so than I'd have thought was normal. When I started the day, I felt fresh. I was flying. Now, as I round every corner, I'm begging to see the familiar sight of a settlement. Finally, just when I was beginning to wonder if I'd taken a wrong turn somewhere and I was wandering off into the middle of the mountains, I come round a corner and there it is. The beautiful sight of Gokyo. At the far end of one of the most beautiful lakes I've ever seen. Brilliant blue and nestled directly beneath a snow-capped mountain. Alright, this Gokyo, where I'll be staying for the next at least two days. She's been a pretty hard hike today. Very glad to see that place. Pretty beautiful though. With the lake. That's why people do this route, because you see the lakes on this side where you don't see them on the EBs on the normal Everest base camp side, so. Alright, let's go find some accommodation. Up until this point, I haven't had to worry about organising accommodation myself, as Nidijan has taken care of this for us. So as I wander into the settlement, I pick out what looks to be the best lodge, with a fantastic view. I feel like today has been a tough day, and I'll reward myself with a nice stay. Gokyo is the largest settlement I've seen since leaving Namche Bazaar a few days ago. It's made up of a number of good quality stone lodges, and it's literally right at the water's edge. The lodge I choose, Gokyo Resort, is massive given where it is up here at almost 5,000 metres elevation, and features a huge wood panelled lounge and restaurant with large glass windows facing out over the rest of the village and Gokyo Lake and the mountain beyond. 
I pinch myself again. As I'm paying for my room, I notice a large selection of cakes and desserts in the restaurant and decide that I'm getting one of those. I don't care how much it costs. It's really such an odd thing, but up here, throughout the trek, it's not uncommon to see small bakeries selling a range of sweet cakes. In fact, the aptly named World's Highest Bakery can be found in Lobachet on the Everest Base Camp route at over 5,000 metres. And it's somewhat of a rite of passage for trekkers to grab a slice of apple pie or a coffee and tick it off the bucket list. As I grab my delicious slice of cake, I sit at a nearby table and punch in the code of the internet service I've just paid for at the lodge and fire off Nidijan a message explaining the situation and where I am. No sooner than I've placed down my phone, I see someone walk in the door to the lodge and speak to the front counter. And I do an absolute double take. It's Nidijan. I cannot believe it. They must have made it this far. But how is that possible? I call out to him, and he slowly turns and makes his way over. Immediately, I can see that he looks upset. Now, I feel like a right prick. Sitting here like a pretentious asshole, about to chow into my slice of chocolate cake, he tells me that no, they didn't make it. He's just run all the way from Machermo to find me. As it turns out, the hippie trekker, he never did pass on that message. But that's not the only bad news. Upon arriving in Machermo, Nidijan tells me that Hanky's condition has not improved. She's exhausted, tired, and she just wants to sleep. While she's not in a dangerous situation yet, Nidijan is really not sure. He's going to have to monitor her condition over the next few hours, but if she doesn't improve or gets any worse, they may have to descend back to Dole tonight. And at the very worst, she may need a helicopter evacuation tomorrow. Once they'd arrived in Machermo and he couldn't find me, Nidijan had made sure Hanky was comfortable, and then he started running up the trail to find me. Asking along the way, he was told, yes, we saw a man, he came through with a microphone. The section that took me about four and a half hours, he'd run in about two, uphill at 5,000 metres elevation, where the oxygen level is only about 55% of what you would get at sea level. Nidijan is one of those people that has a very kind soul. And I don't think he's even capable of being anything other than nice. But I can tell he's upset with me. And right now, I feel ashamed and upset with myself. Sitting here like a prick with my cake while he's literally running up the trail to find me. I've made a difficult situation with Hanky far worse. I've never felt more selfish and soon enough 
I'll be able to add foolish to that. I've never been more sorry or apologetic in my life. He looks away for a moment, and I can see the faint glimmer of a tear in his eye. He's really trying to hold it all together. But he takes a breath and writes himself. Ryan, you've come up very far today. Almost 800 metres elevation gain. That's too far. There is great risk. I tell him, apart from being tired, I feel fine. My O2 levels are good. Everything's okay. My body seems to be handling it. I don't want to go back down after just coming all this way. Eventually, he realizes he's fighting a losing battle trying to get me to go back down today. And he agrees, I seem okay. My oxygen levels are good. It's okay that I stay here. He will assess the situation with Hanky overnight. And if she does have to return, he will then come back for me here. And we can continue together. Now that I have internet, we can keep in touch. For now though, it's 5pm. And starting to get a little bit cold. And he has to run all the way back down to Machermo. Fuck, I feel like a prick. Not sure what to do. I tell him to grab whatever he wants from the restaurant before he goes. Sighing, he grabs himself a piece of cake and quickly eats it before eventually telling me he'll be in touch. Then he turns and heads off out the door and jogs back down the trail to Machermo and the uncertain situation that awaits him there. I don't think I've ever had more respect for anyone in a moment than that. The sun's beaming in through a window on the lounge and feeling absolutely shattered like a lazy cat I find a nice spot and curl up to have a rest. While I'm there I figure I might as well check my O2 level. A couple hours earlier it was happily sitting in the mid 80s but I'm shocked when this test shows it's now down in the high 70s. Suddenly that bulletproof confidence has a little dent in it. Hopping into bed, it's a strange feeling, being completely on my own now. Something, to be honest, that I normally revel in. But now, I feel a bit insecure. Again and again, I test my O2 levels, hoping that they'll suddenly come right, that there's been some mistake. But they don't. For now, I try not to worry and get some sleep. I've got a light headache, but I don't feel too bad. Not knowing that this would be the last time I'd get any sleep for the next three days. Three days, which would turn out to be the hardest and the scariest of my life. Journey is a Brevity Studios production. Written, produced, and narrated by me, Ryan Wolf. You'll find posts with photos and videos dedicated to this podcast on my Instagram, RyanWolfNZ, and our Facebook page, Brevity Studios NZ. You can support my guide, Nidajan, with a follow on his Instagram, where he puts up amazing daily photos of his current treks. 
you'll find his Instagram and further details about this trick in the description of every episode. For ad-free listening, bonus episodes, and early release, you can subscribe to our Brevity Plus channel on Apple Plus, or you can subscribe to Journey with a one-off payment on Acast Plus. You'll find the details in the show notes of this episode. On the next episode of Journey, Everest Base Camp. Okay, if I don't look good, it's because I don't really feel good. Um, last night I had a shit sleep. Uh, the altitude has got me a little bit. Um, I ended up going up about 700 meters yesterday, which is quite a lot, sort of more than the recommended amount. Um, had a bit of a horrible headache all night, and my oxygen level was about was mid to low 70s all night. Um, I've just got up, probably three quarters of the way up, in my first real decent view of Everest. You can see it there.